0: You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Good. Glad you could make it out in this rainy, dreary day. Um, Looking forward to clear, warmer weather. Um... Yeah, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you this morning and continuing our study in 1 in Timothy. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited about Timothy. Maybe because it's more of a pastoral epistle, but I'm, I'm excited. And I think it doesn't just apply to pastors, and there's a lot to for the entire church body to learn from 1 Timothy. I, I'm, I'm excited. Are you guys excited about 1 Timothy? Great, great, great. All right, good. <coughs> All right, I'll ask you to turn with me to Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we'll be starting chapter 2 this morning. Uh, and we started 1 Timothy just a couple weeks ago, and Josh gave us a great introduction to the book. And we know that Paul, we learned that Paul is writing to Timothy, who is is currently shepherding the church at Ephesus. Um, and we learned that that Paul and Timothy were very close. They were very close with each other, and Paul had a, a fatherly um, bond with Timothy. Timothy, being young, probably around his late twenties, um, Paul called him his true child in the faith, uh, telling us about this this fatherly, close bond that they had. And, and this letters between two pastors. So, Paul isn't. Correcting Timothy's doctrine, rather, um, some doctrine in the church in Ephesus, and and how they're they're behaving. And we also talked about the the charge that was given to Timothy to stop those who are teaching incorrect doctrine that is inconsistent with Jesus' teachings and, and Paul's teaching, which he received his teaching directly from Christ. Um, and the ultimate scope of First Timothy, as uh, as we will will see, we'll, we'll see in, in chapter three, where Paul tells Timothy that um, I'm writing this letter to Timothy, um, that we to Timothy and to us, really. I mean, we, so that we may know how to conduct ourselves in the house of the Lord, the church, which is where our our theme of uh, the our blueprints of a gospel-centered church comes from. And then last week, Drew walked us through um, the gospel of Christ that that Paul proclaims in the, the second half of, of chapter 1, and showed us how foundational the gospel is for a church that is honoring to the Lord, a gospel-centered church. I mean, it's in the name, gospel-centered Um So Paul has charged Timothy to correct these false teachers and the church ultimately towards the gospel of Christ and charged him to fight the good fight, standing up for truth in Christ and and the gospel. And today we're going to be continuing the text and and discuss an equally important foundation of a gospel-centered church, and that is prayer. So if you'll stand with me, uh, we'll read 1 Timothy 2, uh, the first eight verses of chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And I'm telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Let us pray. Lord, we uh, we thank you so much for giving us this day. Um, giving us this church body and um, giving us a desire to come here and to fellowship with you and fellowship with others and just to dive into your word and for our hearts and our minds and our souls to be shaped by your word, Lord. And I just pray that you speak to us through your word, you pierce our hearts, you convict us and you teach us, Lord, and that you just give us a um, fervent, posture of prayer in our life, Lord, and I just pray that you uncover the importance and the urgency of, of prayer in our lives as Christians and as a church, Lord, and we thank you so much, and we love you. It's your name we pray, amen. So, Paul starts this chapter with, first of all, then, Pray. And the then used here is synonymous to, to therefore. And anytime you see therefore in the Bible, that means you have to go back to what, it's a, it's a connection. He's resuming uh, his statement that he just made in chapter 1. So chapter 1, looking at chapter 1 verse 18, he says, This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So Paul is saying, because you have been called to fight the good fight, Timothy, for the gospel, being entrusted to oppose false teachers, you therefore need to pray. You therefore need to pray. And and prayer is the, the first step to reestablishing truth and and the gospel in the heart of the Church of Ephesus. And and isn't the same so true for our, our culture today? It starts it starts with prayer. We need prayer in 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 the church more than we ever have today, and we need prayer for our culture and our world and our nation more than we maybe ever have, and so Paul here is is expressing the priority and the urgency of evangelical prayer, which will be the title of our message today, uh, The Urgency of Prayer. So Paul is saying, first of all, before you do anything else, Paul says, I urge you to pray for all people. Make supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for them. And the use of urge here shows that this command comes from Paul's passionate heart for the gospel, passionate heart for for prayer. Rather than simply um, commanding to pray, Paul says, I urge you to pray. There's a there's a sincere urgency behind Paul's message. So continuing verse one says, first of all, then I urge you to pray that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Paul's giving us the, the recipients of this prayer, which will be our first point this morning, the recipients. A prayer. So this is a evangelistic prayer made for all people, for the lost, for those on mission for the good news. Paul makes this a, a clear spiritual duty for Timothy, which extends to all Christians. This calling, this this calling to spiritual. Prayer must be met with spiritual commitment and and diligence and love for all people around you. Friends and enemies saved and unsaved. Paul isn't urging Timothy to pray for those closest to him. Close friends and family that happen to be lost. Or even those who are, are committed to the church body. Not just a He's not commanding him to a specific a, a particular subset of people, rather. All people. All people. Lost, friends, family. He lays a clear expectation that we that we pray for all people. And we, we can conclude from this calling to reestablish the priority of evangelical prayer that the spiritual commitment to to pray for the lost had declined in Ephesus. Likely stemming from the Gnosticism or religious elitism or legalism from, from the Judaizers and these other false teachers. Charles Spurgeon once said, the soul winner must be a master of the art of prayer you cannot bring souls to god if you not if you do not go to god yourself so paul is urging timothy to to four types of prayer this morning the first one being supplications or also translated entreaties and the greek word here is is deesis which the root meaning is to lack uh, to be deprived or to be without something prayer of supplication arises from a sense of need when we know what is lacking and we and we pray and trust in God to to supply it that is that's prayer of of supplication second list in the ESV translation is uh, Is prayers. And this is a, the the Greek word here is prosue. And this is a general word for prayer a a pouring out to God, a lifting up of burdens, blessings, requests, and and supplications, a rejoicing noise, a conversation with God, and ultimately an act of, of worship. God. And and prayer is only possible through the the power of of the Trinity. So firstly, prayer is, is supposed to be offered in faith to the Father, which we see in James 1, verses 5 and 6. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. So we ask in faith, and we ask God. Secondly, prayer is to be to be lifted up in the name of the Lord. John 16, 23 says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I, I say to you, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. And thirdly, prayer is offered in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 tells us, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words how special is it to be empowered by the holy spirit to to not only pray but the spirit himself prays on our behalf intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words that's 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 powerful that's the that's the spirit praying for us and this leads us to our our third type of prayer here, intercessions. The Greek word here is entuxis, which has a a root meaning to to fall in with someone or to get involved with them, to meet them where they are and lift them up in prayer. Just as, as Christ and the Spirit have interceded for us, This is a call to empathetic, sympathetic, compassionate, and loving prayer for others and with others. A prayer that is uplifting and hopeful and wielding of the hope of Christ. And in our small group, which we borrowed the idea from Stephen's group, but each person brings a form of each of these uh, prayers. And we we start with a confession, and um, then we bring a supplication, so a prayer for ourselves, and then an intercession, which is a prayer for someone else. And this is such an edifying time of prayer um, for our small group, in uh, an intentional way to hold each other accountable and to pray for each other and and those around us. and I just want to highly encourage you to, to to get involved in a small group if you haven't already, because you're really missing out on on this the the, the wonderfulness of of prayer and you're missing out on, on growing as close as possible to our church body. That's where it happens. And this last form of prayer we see is thanksgiving. Greek word is Eucharistia, which simply means a giving of thanks. The previous three forms of prayer are asking God to act in a capacity that that provides and heals and corrects while submitting to his wisdom and glory. And this fourth form of prayer is, is thanking him for having acted for having provided, for having created. This is a prayer of gratitude, thankfulness, and joy in all circumstances, especially difficult ones. Philippians 4, verse 6 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but pray. I mean, we've all mastered that, right? No, prayer prayer is a daily intentionality, and we can never have too much prayer. And prayer is, is not always convenient either. We have to set aside time for prayer. But what a what a privilege it is to pray. What a what a privilege it is to have open communication with God who is perfect, eternal, and infinitely loving and wise and, and sovereign. What a, what a privilege it is for that. What a privilege it is to be. Representatives of Christ, equipped with his good news to to share with others. What a privilege it is to be held in the arms of our Savior. Do you have a posture of, of thanksgiving for prayer and for others and for God in your life right now? Are you only thankful when you get what you want? When you have a good day, when our, when our friends and family and coworkers treat us well? Is that when you're thankful? And this this is not a posture of, of someone who has a true heart for thanksgiving before God. We we are called to be thankful for our neighbor. Thankful for that difficult co-worker. Thankful for the opportunity to be a light to them through, through sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And the, these types of prayer, these four categories of prayer to be lifted up once again for all people, unsaved and saved. Paul continues in verse 2, by adding to the recipients of prayer, saying, make supplication prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Now, in context, Paul was writing this letter to Timothy under the current, current reign of, of, of Nero, a Roman emperor who violently persecuted Christians in the first century, and and ultimately is the one who sentences Paul and Peter to death, this Nero. Yet Paul is asking them to pray for these pagan leaders. Pray for these leaders who are persecuting them. The rulers that they didn't agree with or approve of, that that's god's will and heart for all people when was the last time you prayed for our president have you ever prayed for our president and whether you like the president is is irrelevant are are you praying for the leaders in our country Democrat and Republican alike? Do you bubble over with frustration, anger, discontentment at the mention of some rulers or politicians? Or are you on your knees praying over them? Prayer that that honors the Lord shows no partiality to political affiliation. A true heart of prayer stands in the face of persecution, political difference and hostility even and says, "Lord, I give thanks for this soul that you have created and appointed to leadership for your glory and, and please work in their heart, fulfill their just decisions and use me to be a light to them and to this nation." That is a true Posture of prayer. We should be eager and, and persistent in prayer for our leaders and rulers. And not just in our country, but other countries, ally countries, hostile countries. Lifting up the leaders involved in the war between Ukraine and Russia, including Putin. Lifting up the leaders in North Korea, Afghanistan, and China who are persecuting Christians right now. a heart surrendered to the Lord meets hostility with supplications, prayers, intercessions and Thanksgiving. In closing the, the verse two here, we move on to our next point this morning which is the purpose of Prayer. says, for kings and and all who are in high positions, pray for them, that we may lead a, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So he's given us the urgency and the recipients of prayer, and now Paul is supplying us the purpose of prayer. And Paul's immediate purpose here is... That we live a a peaceable life, a life that isn't rebellious to leaders, rulers, and managers, bosses, and and those around us. When we're committed to to praying for our leaders and others, this this posture of resistance is is impossible. Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, Verses 1 through 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions. And pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others. And hating one another. Paul is showing us here that. This posture of disobedience. To rulers and authorities is nothing but foolishness. How we once were. Being led astray and and slaves to to various passions and, and pleasures. It's so unfortunate to see Christians and non-Christians become a slave to political affiliation, leading them to hate others of the other political party and others hating them. This is this is the opposite of, of who we are in Christ. And, and Paul reminds us that We were just like them before Christ. Saying, for we ourselves were once foolish. Understanding this should lead us to a a compassion and a longing to bring them the good news of the transforming work of Christ that brought us to a life of of peace with God and and with others, and not hostility or contention. We should be able to sympathize and say, I was where you were at, and this brought me life. This good news brought me life. A dual purpose in this, this pursuit of peace is that the world begins to see a true picture of the gospel through us. The world begins to see the church as a, a peace loving, compassionate church, obedient to a, a transcendent law, which is the law of Christ. And this pursuing this peace it cultivates an environment and a culture and a government that allows the gospel to freely flourish. You cannot show someone the compassion. You cannot show someone compassion and and, and love the love of Christ if you're speaking low of our leaders and superiors at every opportunity and mention of their name. This doesn't cultivate peace. Arguing over political opinions without caution or or care, or maybe even when over decisions being made by management in your workplace. It's a hard one <laughs> for me. Uh, but you got to let all that, you got to set all that aside. When something changes in my job that inconveniences me, the first thing I want to do is I want my voice to be heard and declare what I want in this job. That's That's my flesh boiling up in me. But we have to be willing to let all that go before it gets in the way of us being a representative of Christ. When we do pursue peacemaking, Paul says this leads to a, a quiet life. And the Greek used here for peace refers to the absence of external disturbances. And the quiet. The word for quiet refers to the absence of internal disturbances disturbances. We are to pursue peace in in every relationship and aspect of life, which leads to a life that is godly and dignified in every way. But this starts with prayer. It starts with us, the church, praying. The progress of the gospel, which leads to Too perfect peace is dependent on the prayers of God's people in the church. We should be the front runners of peace and love in this nation and for all the earth. So Paul has given us the, the immediate results for prayer for all people, including rulers and leaders, which is an environment and a culture of peace with each other, and and, uh, it enables the gospel to flourish, and to grow, and to spread. So that's the immediate results of prayer. But there's a greater eternal purpose of prayer, and that is the eternity of all people, the salvation of all people. Verse 3 and 4 tells us about the eternal motivation A prayer for all people, saying, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Starting uh, this verse 3 here with this, and the word this here refers to the commandment to pray for all people. When we pray for the salvation of all people, friends and families, enemies and adversaries, Republicans, Democrats, our heart becomes aligned with God's. And this is good and pleasing to Him. And if nothing else, we should be praying just because it brings glory and pleasure to God. Again, that prayer is ultimately an act of worship. God it's not just a means of getting what we want it's an open communication a pouring out of Thanksgiving but we pray for others also because God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth now it would be amiss to say that there hasn't been quite a lot of ink spilled and countless hours of discussion over the theology and the process of, of salvation, also known as soteriology. And we're not going to figure it all out uh, or discuss it all today, obviously, <laughs> but what this verse is not saying is that all will be saved, but rather that God desires that all people turn to him and comes to a knowledge of his truth. Now you may be thinking how does this how do we balance this and God's sovereignty? Because if God desires for all people to be saved in a, a determinative unconditional sense as some some claim and that God were to pr- proclaim, it is my will that all people be saved. Then all men would be saved. And this is within God's ability and power to accomplish. However, we see clearly in scripture and in life that that is not the decree of God. Eternal separation from God is an unfortunate reality for for many So how do we remedy this verse in God's sovereignty? Because if it is as some say because there's th- th- there's quite a contradiction that if, if God desires all to be saved but provides salvation unconditionally and, and deterministically without human responsibility then God has failed. Not everyone is saved. But that's Not the case, nor God. God has not failed. And I believe this desire of God is is remedied by another desire of God. That we choose to genuinely love him. You see, this is a provisional desire of God, not a determinative one. His declared will, not his decreed will. Therefore, this verse is, is remedied by God's des- declared will for a genuine human response to the gospel of Jesus Christ that God has provided as a provision for our eternal salvation. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's word to the the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. God has decreed that he, or declared that he has, he desires an unforced repentance and a, a genuine response to the gospel so that we can know him. So that we can love him and live with him and glorify him. But Christians, I would urge you not to lose sight of the purpose given to us. It is not your responsibility or ability to provide salvation, that alone is reserved for Christ. Nor is it our responsibility to exhaustively understand how God saves. Don't stray into endless discussion about secondary doctrines. Similar to those that Paul mentions in the first chapter that were dedicated to vain discussions about myths and genealogies that did not promote the gospel. And it's so unfortunate to see Christians make an idol of, of secondary doctrines like soteriology, which is a beautiful thing. It's it's a beautiful thing to know and understand God's word. And there's certainly an edification and a beauty in understanding God's character and truth of his word, but dedication to endless and vain discussions only bring division and do not propel the gospel or heart of love and prayer and, and scarcely produces a genuine, response to the gospel, which God so greatly desires, and, and so should we. This genuine response to the gospel is all, It ultimately comes from a knowledge of the truth that was mentioned in verse 4 and, and, fi- and verses 5 and 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 2 gives us the foundation of this truth. It says, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You cannot come to salvation. No one can come to salvation until they understand this truth the gospel of Christ, and the human condition. And the human condition is that we are dead in our sin. And through our sins, we are eternally separated from God and on the path to receive just judgment for our sin. For the wages of sin is death. And that we so desperately need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ, who humbly and lovingly came to earth, taking on flesh and lived a perfect life and died a sinless death as a substitute for us, atoning our sins and clothing us with robes of His righteousness, So that we could have fellowship and eternal life with God. This is the knowledge of the truth that God so desires for all so that each can respond to the gospel. If you're here today and you haven't responded to the gospel, then then don't delay. Don't leave here without having that conversation with Jesus. Or with someone else, with me, with Josh, Steve, and Drew, anybody. And for the Christians, our job is to pray. If God desires salvation for all people, we should pray for the salvation of all people. And proclaim the gospel. And trust God to work and in the hearts of those that we pray for and share the gospel with. When we pray for the leaders of our country and our friends and, and family, our coworkers and community, and for those hostile to the gospel, we pray knowing that God loves them and that He desires their salvation. we need to lift up prayer that is is influenced by the truth, which is the gospel of Christ and his redeeming work. And Paul reminds us that this was the the reason he was appointed to proclaim this very truth. In verse 7 he states, for this, I was appointed a teacher, or a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth; I, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The for this, in this verse, refers to the truths of verses, uh, the truth mentioned in verses five and six. So he's saying, for this. I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, proclaiming, being appointed for devotion to Christ's atoning work, for the gospel, for evangelical prayer. Paul's divine commission was based on these truths. And, and Paul's commission as a, as, a, as a pastor may not apply to all of us. Not all of us are, are pastors. But in Christ, we have all been appointed and called to stand for the same truth that Paul was appointed to stand for. We're called to proclaim the gospel and and to fervently pray. Let let us not become stagnant in in our duty to the gospel and to prayer. Let us not rely on those appointed to pastors and leaders in the church. How are you growing in your, in your role and, and desire to share the gospel with this community and to prayer? How are you growing in that? Or are you relying on other people to do it for you? These aren't just re- reserved for, for pastors or leaders. And, and I pray that as a body, we can be unified in our efforts and desire to proclaim the gospel to this community and to pray for the hearts of the lost. I believe there's some in our church, like Heath or Missy and Nathan and Mike, that have the gift of evangelism. But does that mean we get to sit back and let them do all the work? Oh, those four, they'll reach the whole city. Absolutely not. We should all be prioritizing prayer, prioritizing evangelism, prioritizing the gospel. Because we are appointed just as Paul was. Maybe not in the same way, but nonetheless we are appointed to the gospel and to prayer. Prioritizing prayer for the lost, for the for the church. Prayer for ourselves and and others. And prayers of, of thanksgiving. And like I said, this isn't always going to be convenient for us. Prayer isn't always convenient. Reading scripture isn't always convenient to the busyness of life. We need to be praying each day. And we, even when it's been a busy day at work or life's busy in general. We need to be gathering as a as a church body here on the first Wednesday of Wednesday of every month to have corporate prayer and Sunday morning before church we need to be coming here to pray. That is our that is our calling. And we need to show up to Wednesday night to pray. And sending more in to pray, even if we don't feel like it. And 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 I want to challenge you to start by making one of those a priority. Both of them a priority. Corporate prayers is so important. Prayer is so important and should be one of the top priorities in our life, along with fellowship with the Lord and, and His Word and, and sharing the gospel. When we when we practice Evangelical prayer, we propel the gospel. And and this is good and and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. And if that's not your heart this morning, then I pray that you, you seek the Lord today. And you ask him to transform your heart for prayer and for the gospel. Verse 8 shows us the attitude and and posture of prayer we are to have when we do go out on the mission field, into our community and into our nation, leading us to our our final point as we close, the the appropriate attitude of prayer. Verse 8 of 1 Timothy 2 says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or or quarreling. So having having given us the the recipients and the purpose of prayer, Paul shows us the attitude that should accompany our, our prayers. And he starts with men. As the men of the church body we're to lead by example. And that we and that may be leading as a pastor, leading as a husband or father, or just leading in your role in the church. But we're called to set an example of a prayer-filled life. How can we expect our families to prioritize prayer when the father How can we expect our church to prioritize prayer when the men aren't? Paul says that in every place, referring to the assembly or assemblies of of church, that men should be praying with lifting up of holy hands. And this, this holy hands comes from hands that are considered holy by Adhering to a holy way of living, an upright spiritual posture. Those who are to lift prayers for the lost must not be characterized by anger or, or quarreling, as the text says, or, or sin. to pray with lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Prayer must be holy and genuine in in the heart and deed. And this extends to both men and women. What, What sin in your life or or contention with others or contempt for a leader or superior is holding you back from a selfless, loving pursuit of prayer that offers up supplications, intercessions, and, and even thanksgiving for all people. Prayer has to come from a heart that is on fire for the Lord. If you don't care about your prayer life, then you likely don't care about your fellowship with the Lord. And if you're not on fire for the Lord, you can't be on fire for others. You can't be on fire for the lost. I'll invite the the band back up as we close and I'll ask that you you bow your heads as we enter into a time of 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 prayer and invitation and and communion and I want to ask you to I want to ask you to evaluate your prayer life right now. In, in your current season of life. How, how is how is prayer going? How can prayer be improved? Prayer is is how can prayer be improved in our church? I mean corporate prayer is so important. And like I said, pr- Prayer propels the gospel, and that starts with each individual in the church. Prayer being such a a foundational part of a gospel-centered church. If you find yourself in a dry season of of prayer, if that's you this morning, I I pray that you ask God to just transform your heart. Come to Him in prayer now and say, Lord, I, I want to have such a longing and desire for prayer and for the gospel and for the lost in this community and and for the leaders of our nation. You cannot have strong fellowship with the Lord without strong prayer. Before we close with a time of communion I want to ask God just I want you to ask God to show you how you can be growing in your prayer life it's not always convenient it's going to require sacrifice of time it's going to require setting aside pride to, to pray for that person that you don't see eye to eye with whether it's a leader or a coworker or a family member That's who we need to pray for the most. Lift up the loss in this community and the leaders of our nation and the world, or, and around the world. And by doing so, we are, we are growing closer to God's heart. And if you're here today and you haven't made that genuine response to the gospel of Christ... then I I pray today is the day of salvation. And that you go to God in prayer. Prayer isn't reserved for Christians. God is waiting with open arms and open ears to hear your prayer, to hear your voice, and to have a longing for Him. What's holding you back from from going to the Lord in prayer there is freedom in in Christ free from sin and shame and and emptiness oh how how wonderful and fulfilling and hopeful is it for our, our voices to be heard by God as the text said there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all that includes you Christ bore your sin on the cross so you didn't have to and all you have to do is place your, your faith in him as your wonderful savior saying God I, I have sinned and I, have, I am separated from you And my heart longs for you. And I just, I repent, and I want to place my faith in Christ that I can have eternal life, and that I can have, I can get rid of the hostility between us. And I can have fellowship with you. Just don't leave without praying that prayer today. You take as much time you need to to pray and ask God to restore your posture of prayer anything else that you need to bring to the Lord and then um, I ask that if you if you're a believer this morning that you'll partake in uh, communion we have everything you need on the back table so you take your time and, um, and grab a cup and some bread and we'll continue with communion